You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Thank you so much, Jewel, also for reading. It's, um, that's how the, des- the Bible's actually designed. For a long, 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 long time, the Bible's read out loud, and it's it's good to meditate on smaller bits, but it's also good to hear big chunks out loud. It's so uncommon, I get that, to sit through a big reading, but it's really important to get the bigger picture. And so, yeah, we are. We're starting a series in Ephesians, and we're going to talk more about that in a second. But first, I want to tell you about one of my first dining experiences. When I was late teens, I guess, can't remember the exact age, I went out to dinner with some friends. And... Um, it wasn't just a normal McDonald's or KFC. We went to a, a restaurant with a menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. congratulations to me. Um, so we went out. I can't remember when it was, but I do remember this story distinctly. I looked through the menu and you could have chicken with veggies or steak with chips. This is a massive issue when you want chicken and chips massive things, the things I had to go through in my life. (laughs) At the time, that was probably one of the hardest. I had a pretty good life. So this was a big decision. What a dilemma. Sure, steak is nice. And so are the chips. But do you know what? Chicken chips, that would be perfection. Anyway, I order steak because I wanted chips. And then the orders come out. And, yep, steak and chips for Steve. Yep, thank you. Um, let's, let's call it Jono. Let's pretend it was dinner with Jono. Can't remember the exact mates, but Jono's there. And then out comes Jono's. And guess what it is? Chicken and chips. <laughs> oh, devastating. Can you imagine? We should have prayed for me then because that was just, that was a devastating moment. As I, and I leaned over to him and I say, how did you do that? What did you, like, wow. And he's, I just asked them. You can swap things around on the menu. I just didn't know. I hadn't experienced it. I didn't know that's how it worked. I didn't know you simply could just ask. I didn't know there was more available. My limited view had boxed me in and I didn't realise that I could actually have the perfect lunch. Chicken and chips. And, of course, you know me, so it would have been trifle as well. That would have been the perfect lunch. I just didn't know. I just had no idea that that's how it worked, that there could be more available. And hear me right this morning, church, because it's a bit of a challenge for 2020. I see today, I know we started the year, but we've had people away from holidays. We've had people, we're gathering back in Feb. We're coming together. And so I see this series as the beginning of 2020 really appreciate the series we've been in, but I see there's something significant about this book this morning and what we're heading into for the year. So hear me say this right, because I'm going to say a few things. I believe, it is my conviction, my opinion even, that Western church, and when I say church this morning, don't, I'm not talking about Burley Heads Church of Christ, I'm talking about America, Australia, that Western sort of church. It is my conviction that the Western church is very much like a a late team, Steve Gray, and has forgotten the full power, the full extent of what the church can be. This is a no judgment. 
I believe we've, we've forgotten a bit. How I know this is, that in Australia at the moment, there's 8% of the current generation in church. So statistically, not just this church, any church, statistically, except you notice I'm not saying the eastern part of the world because they're exploding, they're under persecution and as soon as the church meets hardship, it's like an explosion. They're thriving. The western church, 8% of the current generation is in committed to church. So anyone, anyone that says we're nailing this thing, we're making disciples, is not 100% correct. They might be in some way, but 8% is a small percentage of, for people to know the power of the church. So a couple of stray observations, and you can hear it in our language around the church. I mean, any time you read even communion in the Bible, what is it? We've talked about this. What is it? It's a meal. The current church is a meal of forgiveness of confession, of dinner. In fact, in Corinthians it says, eat before you come because there's guys coming just to have a big feast because it was that much of a meal. Don't drink too much. There's rules on that in church communion. Now, it's not wrong, but we've now condensed that to a cup of juice and a bit of bread and we do it in silence. It's just different. We've condensed things. I get it when you've got a thousand people in a church it's a lot easier to get juice and bread out that way. But it does say something about the condensement of modern-day church. What about the fact that worship in the Bible is an entire sacrifice of your life, given to God, living in him every day? What do we call worship? We don't mean this, but we call it 15 minutes at the start of a service, 9 to 11 on a Sunday morning. Oh, worship was great this morning. Did you mean that Sunday to Sunday, your entire life, 24 hours, the way you parented, the way you spoke to people in public, the way you moved in your workplace or residence, did you mean that was great this morning? Or did you mean this time of praise? And don't get me wrong, the time of praise is phenomenal. It's good to gather collectively and sing corporately. But that's not the full picture of worship. Even mission. We've condensed that. We see mission. We talk about mission globally as going over to Vanuatu. Is that mission? Yes. But mission is also 10 seconds after you walk out this door, you're sent. You're on mission. Language. I'm not knocking any of these things because these are the very reasons, these are very traditions or very things that I grew up with. Kept me in church, kept me connected. They're good things. But it feels like in the West we've condensed the menu. We've condensed our idea of what church is and we've put it into 9 to 11 on a Sunday morning. And then if we're too busy we can't even get to that sometimes, which is okay. Tell me, church, if I'm just completely off or you can sense in this confusing time in 2020, everyone, no matter how seasoned, the church has got a lot more to offer in 2020. Do we agree with that? Yeah, tell me if I'm completely wrong. I think the church has a lot more to offer. I think there's more on the menu. I think for some of us, we don't even know that we can ask for these things. And even the way we speak, oh, I'm going to go and attend church. Do you mean the holy collective that means the called out people? Do you going to attend that? 
we just condensed it in our language. So luckily though, or not luckily, blessed are you that you don't have to take Steve Gray's opinion for it because there's a book. (laughs) There's a lot of books, but we're going through a book that is written to a church, Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, that this church, do you know there's a lot of philosophies and ideals and ideas floating in our society today that are coming against the Christian faith? We all know this. We think they're new. Chances are those ideals and philosophies were invented by probably the Greeks <laughs> in the city of Ephesus. And so you have this city. It's a trade route. There's all these new ideas. There's all these things that the whole age of, and I'm not going into it today, but the homosexuality debate that feels like it's right on our doorstep, that was also being hap- happening 2,000 years ago. Maybe even more. And so there's this little church in Ephesus. It's surrounded. It's getting oppressed by the Roman government. It's getting squeezed. There's new ideas. There's new things coming in. And Paul writes to them and reminds them of who they are. Reminds them that they're not defined by the outside. Reminds them of who the church is. Reminds them in confusing times of rumours of wars of strange politicians, of hardship, of weird philosophies. He reminds this church who they are. So who's excited and who can maybe see a couple of similarities between then and 2020? I'm excited about this book. I think it's for us. And so I ask, I'm going to pray again in a moment. I'm going to ask us to address this book with an open mind, whether you're six months old and you're and you're listening from the cry room, or you're 742 years old, everyone, I think the church, I think the church has more potential. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Let me pray for open hearts as we explore this series in the Word of God together. Father God, thank you for this morning already. Thank you for what has been. We thank you for the things that the church is made up of. We thank you for your invention that is the church. But Father, this morning, we dare to say that maybe there's a few things that aren't on the menu that we can ask for. That maybe the things that we've put in our order of service, 9 to 11 Sunday morning, maybe the church is bigger, better, more powerful. And so, Father, we're open to that this morning. Not just, not open to Steve Gray's opinion, Lord, (laughs) that's not what we're listening to. We're listening to your word and asking the question, what does your word inspired by the Spirit have for us this season? In Jesus Christ's name. Amen? Beautiful. Let me go through and have a look at this, this letter that is written to the church in Ephesus. Let me go through the first part. Thank you so much, Jewel, for reading it so beautifully in, con- in the whole thing. I'm going to just read some bits. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, great grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul says something straight away. That stood out to me at least, and most of the commentaries agree that these... He uses this word predestined, and he uses this other phrase, chose us and him before the foundation of the world. Us, the church. Now, this brings up heaps of debates around, if you've heard these express Calvinism, Arminianism, we could go into that. We're not going into there today. That's not the point of this sermon. Certainly happy to have a coffee sometime, and I love that conversation. I think Paul wants to bring it deeper than that, though. Sometimes churches get so caught up, or sometimes Christians get so caught up, it's like a basketball team. They get so caught up on how they got into the team. The mechanics, oh, can I see the roster again? Oh, what was it, my dribbling skills? It was, how did I get on the team? That they forget what the team is meant to do. So don't get lost. Fun to talk about, but don't get lost in the predestined language. Know that you've been chosen to do something and it's better than even playing basketball. <laughs> you've actually been, you're sitting here for a reason, a purpose. Don't lose focus of that. Let me keep reading. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to what? His purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite. I love this. What a mission statement. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things of earth. Christ doesn't hate the things on earth. He hates sin. He wants to unite it all for his glory. It tells us that. That's his big plan. There's a big, big, big eternal plan at stake here. As Paul is, what an intro for a letter. My letters just say, dear such and such. <laughs> this is Paul's dear such and such. He's a little bit better at writing letters. We can learn, I can learn a lot. According to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ, it says, as a plan for the fullness of time, again, to unite all things in him, in Jesus. Jesus is at the whole center of this, the book, the library that is the Bible. Paul is telling a group that is, facing strange times, facing Roman oppression, again, afflicting teaching, swaying by cultural ideas and pressures on them. He's telling this group, this collective, the people in that room, that this isn't an accidental club. And it's the same for us. We didn't gather because we all like the same dress code. I look around, I know that. <laughs> We don't even gather because we have a, just a fascination with blue pews. And we're like, I just, on Sunday morning, I just, we just need to gather because we all love blue pews. I know we certainly didn't gather because we all agree on music. I know that. That's not what binds us together. It's not even the reason we're here. We're here not by accident. There's a purpose This is good news. The creator of the universe is doing something. Do you know why this is good news? Because you and everyone else on the planet knows there's something wrong. We know there's something wrong in this world. 
We know because people that get everything say they didn't get everything and were missing stuff. And we know that people that sometimes have nothing have this deep sense of joy. We know it's wacky. We know it doesn't matter the politician, it doesn't matter the party, the world can't seem to fix itself. This book, Paul is saying, actually God knows that too and he's got a plan to bring redemption to it. He's got a plan to restore it. He knows. He's not unaware of that sinking feeling after some days going, this isn't right. How many people live as if they're never going to die? I reckon nearly every single person lives as they're never going to die, yet do you know what percentage of people do pass away? All of them. (laughs) But we live like, because eternity is in the hearts of all men, and so there's something in us that says we are designed to live forever. We're designed for a kingdom focus, but something is deeply wrong. And Jesus knows that, and he has a plan. So, like Paul reminds the church, I want to remind us, it's not an accident you're here this morning. It's not luck. It's not coincidence. God hasn't led you in this morning just to consume some bickies and some coffee and chat, although that is great. There's so much more he has for you. There's a reason you're here. There's a reason he wants to be part of your life. Maybe you're feeling useless. Paul wants to remind you, no, he won't accept that. I won't accept that. You're not useless. The way you've been wired, your spiritual gifting, which we're going to talk about in coming weeks, has been given for a purpose, an invention called the church. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And collectively, in his will, with this mission, we can actually partner, we can make a decision to partner with the divine. How much more off the menu is that than, are you attending this week, 9 to 11? It's a bit bigger. You can have chicken and chips. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's a walk in the park. I know many of us will testify this morning that they're going through a season that's not a walk in the park. But it's about in the bad days and in the good days, God is moving, God is working, God is changing, God is transforming, God is redeeming, God is restoring. As long as you have breath in your lungs, God has a season and a purpose for you. Don't get me wrong, it's not always the same season. I'm not, I know some of you have no desire to be in the season of a 33-year-old that has three kids under six and is running around like he's just had 16 cans of Red Bull. Some of you are like, settle down, mate. I've done that. <laughs> I get that. So we're not, I'm not saying we have to be in the same season, but in each season, God is at work. I said it last week and I'm going to keep saying it. My goodness, the ministry God is doing with retirees in the op shop at the moment, and I think not just retirees, but there's a lot of retirees because I have time to talk to people. It's nothing short of miraculous. Friday, you should have been here. You should have been here Friday if you could have. The conversations, the invitations to play group, hearts and crafts, to church, just sales of pants, although that's cool as well. The coffee, Paul's starting to make coffee out there. He made 50 cups of coffee on Friday. (laughs) And each one with a conversation and a smile and showing a little bit of Jesus. Mate, it's nothing short of miraculous. God's turning up Friday morning. So if you want to see him work, come sometime, visit, volunteer, say hello. Anyway, what a season. Let me keep reading. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Again, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In brief, God is not only at work in the past, since the beginning of time, he's not only at work today, he hasn't just worked through Abraham, his family, the nation, the kingdom, and then his son, and then today his spirit, but the future's bright as well. There's an inheritance. Being the church, as I'm going to say a lot this year, being the church or be the church will one day become being the kingdom. And we've got an inheritance there. We can live in this and know that it all ends really good, really well in God's plan. The church. Paul wants to remind these people, barely, not even, probably 70 to 100 years, let's go 70 years since Jesus walked the earth, he wants to remind this church of who they are. There is more. Maybe we've forgotten. Maybe there's been distraction, idols, busyness. Maybe we've forgotten the freedom and purpose this group has in Christ. His invention for world change. His collective of free people called the church. Paul is reminding his people, and so I remind us today, as we intro this series, you don't attend church. This building is not a church. I'm not even asking us to start. You're probably waiting for me to go, go do stuff. I'm not even going to call us to do stuff this morning. I'm asking us to be something. Be with Jesus more. Be more like Jesus and be the church. Paul uses this word here, church, really quickly. In the Greek, um, it's ecclesia. If you look up the dictionary now, that means congregation. If you look up further what it originally meant, that's just the now definition. What it first meant probably when he was using it, it means those called out. How's that? So if you're sitting there this morning going, Jesus, some hard stats here. Is Steve calling me out? No. Christ has since he died. You've been called out. If you've been saying I've gone to church and you've already been called out, called out to be the church. I'm just reminding us, hopefully. Reminding myself. Those that are called out to live a different purpose. Be the church. That's what we're going to be talking about all year and we're going to be talking about in this series to Easter, how we be the church, not do heaps of stuff. The only person described as busy in the Bible is Satan. Be the church. So, one bit of application today, and then we're going to finish off. And you, what do we do with that? How do we start day one, 2020, or month one in, how do we start being the church? Well, there's just one thing I want to encourage us, and it's this. Well, actually, let's read because better than me telling you, Paul tells you with the final two sections 
of Ephesians 1. He says this, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. That's important. He does not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Last part. So as he's outlined this massive plan and what is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he may be worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head to what? Where does this all lead? Over all things to the Ecclesia. That's a scary amount of responsibility. The story thus far ends with his great invention, us, in his spirit. Maybe. Maybe there's more on the menu. What can we do? I want to encourage us, church, to do this. Let's just start with never ceasing thanksgiving. If we're not going to be a church that's just about doing stuff or earning love of God, because that's what he covered, he loves us, but about being Christ and therefore radiating his light and salt, let's start with a practice of gratitude. As Paul does, never cease to stop and give thanks. How often in this busy world do you stop and thank God for what he has done? If you do it a lot, could you do more? If you don't do it at all, could you do more? How often do you get time to reflect on him? How often do you speak to others about the work he's doing in you? Can I invite us with this simple application and what I feel is a big year and a big season to just start with thanking God for what he's done? Even if life is pretty hard at the moment, we've all got something to thank. Let's start with thanking him for his son. As long as you've got air in your lungs, there's something to thank God for. So some questions to ask in your small tables or with your spouse or with your friends or whoever. What things has God blessed you with that you take for granted? What teachable moments has God blessed you with this week? So even the hard bits. Gee, that person was difficult, you might say. (laughs) Thanks, God, for upgrading me and teaching me a new skill set to deal with that person. Why is God's story thus far, the gospel, meaning his reign in your life, why is that good? And I'm not looking for a correct exam answer. I'm looking for, if you don't know why it's good, that's okay, no judgment, find out. Because if you don't know why it's good, you're not going to want to tell that guy in your office or that person that lives next door why it's good. You can roll out, oh, well, he died for your sins and unless you know why it's good. If you don't know, ask. Why is it good for you? Why is it good for your family? Why is it good for this church? And why is it good for the Southern Gold Coast? It is good, by the way. Why? Love you to ask yourself these questions. 
And then just two things I'd encourage you with, especially some of the families here. Who, or actually, not even family. Who says grace? I've, I've gone a bit of... I've boxed in the menu with grace. So grace, I will confess, about a year ago, year and a half ago, this is what grace looked like. I could barely get the kids to the table and probably we weren't sitting with them. We're like, quickly, oh, they started and I was already shoved half a spoon in his mouth. Let's say grace, thank you God for our food. Then we, we developed a bit of a, not the sermon now, we developed a bit of a Sabbath practice around Friday night, Saturday, and, and when we can, we get the whole family and we sit down. Aria calls it family dinner. And we started a practice about a year and a half ago where we sit there. If you can't do this, this is not a guilt. This is just a simple application in your setting. We sit down and we say, what are you thankful for, kids? Confession time. Sometimes they're too tired to be bothered. Sometimes they're crying and I'm not thankful for much in that moment. And so we just, let's just eat dinner. Seriously. So we're human, but when we can, we sit down and we go. So this week it was starting school. This week it was Belle found a friend school and just thank God for a moment and that's grace now some of you don't have three kids under six some of you kids have grown up what some of you don't have kids whatever find your small table and just maybe once a week once a month say a real grace what are you thankful for start there and I reckon that's the best first step of being the church right there's also things called a thanks or a gratitude journal. I know a few people in this church have it. What a great reminder at the end of the day, they just write what they're thankful for. Another powerful tool. I think most Christian bookstores now sell it. Another great idea. Church, let's consider that maybe there's more on the menu. Maybe we consider that there's maybe more than we've maybe forgotten that church can be. Maybe it's even more than just this. This is great, by the way. Let's thank God now and let's ask him to unpack Burley Heads Church of Christ through this book. Father, we, in humility, ideas aside, experiences even aside for a moment, education aside, status in our society aside, we come humbly and ask you, are we being the church, Lord? Is there more? Is there more power? Is there more calling? Is there more giftings? Is there more presence? Is there a deeper relationship with you and each other? Father, your Holy Spirit stir within us this morning as we remember, as we look to restore, and as we find out things that we didn't even know we could ask for, things that are off the menu. <laughs> Speak to us through this series. Thank you for the baptisms today, Lord. And uh, bless us as we go in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. This song, In Christ Alone, actually is inspired by this passage. And so as you sing it, think through what we've talked to today.